Our scripture today comes from Psalm chapter 85, verses 1 through 2 and 8 through 13. And I will be reading that from the Common English Bible version. For the music leader of the Korahites, a psalm. Lord, you've been kind to your land. You've changed Jacob's circumstances for the better. You've forgiven your people's wrongdoing. You've covered all their sins. Selah. Let me hear what the Lord God says, because he speaks peace to his people and to his faithful ones. Don't let them return to foolish ways. God's salvation is very close to those who honor him, so that his glory can live in our land. Faithful love and truth have met. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth springs up from the ground. Righteousness gazes down from heaven. Yes, the Lord gives what is good, and our land yields its produce. Righteousness walks before God, making a road for his steps. May God's word shape us and form us. Amen. God is good. All the time. All right, you got to do better than that. God is good. All the time. Amen. Amen. And uh, everybody put your palms in the air and say peace. 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 I think uh, it's really good to remember uh, that it's God who gives peace. It's God who gives peace, especially in these holiday seasons. In the church, we call this Advent, right? But out there um, is you know, from Black Friday to Cyber Monday to Cyber Week Monday to Double Cyber Week Monday. Uh, it's all about Christmas and uh, marketing and advertising and buy, buy, buy. And then you think about family and vacations and travels and the weather is getting colder and it's getting darker outside. So a lot of us struggle with anxiety and depression and all of those things. And Christmas, a time that should be happy and yeah. joyful or anticipatory, waiting, as Erica spoke about earlier, is oftentimes the saddest time for people. The saddest time for people. And it's almost like, the, have you heard of the Facebook effect? The Facebook effect, like, you're doing Facebook, you're doing Facebook, and you take a break from Facebook because you're realizing Facebook is making you sad. And why is it making you sad? Because everybody puts their best foot forward on Facebook. Look at my kids. Look at this vacation I took. Look at my new car. Look at my house. And you're watching this and you're like, my life isn't like that. And we play the comparison game. And as we compare and compare, you realize, oh, I'm not so good. My life is not the way I want it to be. And we feel sad. And this, it's the same with the holidays. We see pictures and images of people celebrating and families, full and happy families. And like I said last week, people getting Lexuses for Christmas with red bows around them. And like, oh my gosh, that happens to everyone. It's not happening for me. And sometimes we're reminded of what we don't have because there's so much out there of what you could have. And so we become sad and depressed. 
I'm a person who is an anxious person. I know that probably surprises you. I'm very, I have a lot of anxiety, I worry a lot. And you know, you're like, Dave, Pastor Dave, you were born in Hawaii, aren't you like laid back and like, Hakuna Matata and all of those things, like chill out. Um, but I am a worry wart, and uh, just an example uh, of that is uh, growing up, uh, we used to take road trips everywhere. My dad, my mom, my brother, my sister, and my dad uh, would always want to drive. We want to go to New York or Niagara Falls. We lived in Atlanta, Georgia at the time, and he's like, let's go to Niagara Falls. Let's go visit New York City. I'm like, yes, a family vacation. We're an airline ticket. No, he's like, we're driving. We're going to go to that Ford Taurus station wagon, and we're going to go to all those places. And we're like, oh, no. My dad loved driving. But this, for me, was a source of great anxiety because my dad, I don't know if it was because of sleep apnea or I don't know if it was because he was trying to drive all night, you know, and just push the mileage, but he would just fall asleep at the wheel. He would doze off all the time. And my brother didn't care. My mom didn't care. My sister didn't care. I was the one who took on the burden of worrying. I'd sit in the back seat and I'd watch his eyes through the rearview mirror, right? And then like the headlights from behind are shining on his eyes and I would just watch. Everyone's peacefully sleeping and I'm watching just like, just to see if his eyes will close and he'll kind of drift off. And then I'll go, dad, wake up. And he'll whoa, 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 whoa. Like, Dad, wake up! And it was so stressful because I would stay up all night watching him. And for an eight or nine-year-old boy, that's just too much, right? That's too much responsibility, too much burden. And maybe it wasn't, it probably wasn't my job, but I took it upon myself anyways because that's the type of person I was, one who worried and took responsibility. And, uh, had anxiety. And so uh, today our theme is peace. It's the second week of Advent and traditionally peace is the word that goes with the second week. And each week in Advent we light a candle. Um, and each candle represents a word, right? So the first week we lit the, the shorter purple candle uh, which was hope. And then this week we lit the candle of peace. And um, we center on the word peace today. And something that helps me to better grasp the meaning of each of these words um, as we focus in on them each week um, and to have my own personal connection as I journey through the season reflecting on and waiting on the coming Christ, the Messiah, is to ask the question, what is the opposite of that word? What is the antonym, right? So take last week, for instance, the candle of hope. We spoke about hope, the passage was on hope, I preached on hope, but what is hope? What really does it mean to hope in the Christian sense? Not, you know, not wishful thinking, it's deeper than just wishful. I, I hope I get, you know, that present. It's more than that. And so what helps me to understand it more fully is what would be the opposite of hope? Anyone? Despair. Yes, despair. That's a good one. Yeah, despair. 
right? And then the question and reflection that I ask myself is, what are the places of despair in my life, right? Where, or another way to put it, where do I feel death? A little taste of death. Like when I, maybe for you, when I deal with that person at work, that you know that person, <laughs> I feel dread. I don't want to deal with that person. I want to avoid that. It just makes me feel despair, right? When I turn on CNN, right, and I watch the news, and I see all of the suffering in the world, or all of the disasters, or all of the wars, I, I feel despair. When I witness injustice, I feel despair. There's nothing I can do. And so I just shut off the TV because I don't want to deal with it, right? What are the places of despair? And so this week, we center on the word peace, and I wonder, what is the opposite? What is the antonym of peace? Anyone? Anyone? Chaos. Chaos? Oh, that's a good one. I hadn't thought of that. Peace. Trauma. Huh? Trauma. Trauma. Whoa, these are good. We're getting, we're getting real up in here. Uh, anxiety. Anxiety. That's a good one. Yeah, when I thought about the antonym of peace, um, there's kind of two ways that you can go, right? The, the opposite of peace could be war, conflict, or disunity, right? In terms of there's no violence. Peace is uh, the absence of war, the absence of conflict, the absence of violence, right? So war, conflict, and disunity, there's no fighting. Or anxiety or worry, right? As in peace of mind. So the opposite of that would be I don't have peace of mind, which is I'm anxious or I'm worried. But I like the word chaos too, right? Because chaos is just like, ah! Right? And then peace is there's some sense of order, something is in control, Someone bigger is in control, right? And when you think about Genesis, the creation story, right? There's chaos, there's darkness, and God speaks order into creation, right? And there's peace, right? A lot of times the word peace, uh, shalom is used. Shalom in the Bible is used for peace. And shalom means a harmony, a, a, a state of being when uh, the creatures, the world, people are in a state of harmony, are reconciled, right? There's no war, there's no division. There's justice in the land, there's compassion in the land. And creation, instead of groaning or breaking apart or being sick, God's creation, is actually like being taken care of, right? Is, is thriving, is being fruitful because people are being good stewards of the land. So shalom means a, a, a state of wholeness and peace, right? There's peace, there's shalom. But there's that added dimension of justice and reconciliation and relationship in there. And so I like, when, I, when we focus in on peace, I like both of those things, like shalom um, and also peace of mind, right? This uh, lack of anxiety. 
And if you look at our scripture, again, if you look at the first line in your, in your, in your Bible, uh, it says, you know, you always have the parenthetical, I don't have it up there, but it, it says, for the music leader of the Korahites, a song. Basically, this song was written as a worship song, a praise song, right? Just like last week, Isaiah the prophet was a prayer. Our passage was a prayer. And we asked the question last week, what do you do when you're waiting? You don't just do a passive waiting, just the guy sitting on the curb waiting with his suitcases, right? There's an active waiting as Christians. And one of the things that you can do to actively wait, which is hope, is to pray, right? Maybe things aren't the way you want them to be. Maybe you have impatience. Maybe you're in despair. Maybe you're suffering. And so to hope actively means, in spite of all those things, yet I will be faithful and I will pray to my God and say, God, tear open the heavens, the prophet Isaiah said. Rip open the heavens, and will you please come down? And as Christians, we don't gloss over the hard things in life, amen? We don't sweep the dust under the rug, because we know eventually that dust is going to come out in our house and make our houses dirty. Christians, actually, when we wait and hope, we take into consideration the suffering in our own lives and the suffering in other people's lives. And we don't have a deaf ear to injustice or the people crying out saying, I can't breathe. So a way to actively hope, engage in the world is to pray. And that means when we pray, we cry out. And that's how we can hope actively. This week's passage, it's written for a music leader. It's written for Erica to come up and sing. Just imagine her singing this song. And praise is another way that we participate actively in waiting. God is both here, present in this worship space, and yet, not yet. Right? And we're waiting. So we say, we sing, God, come. Divine Messiah, come. Come, Lord, come. And this is, this is what the psalmist says. Lord, you have been kind to your land. You've changed Jacob's circumstances for the better. You've forgiven your people's wrongdoing. You cover all their sins. Selah. And when we praise with music, when we worship, isn't that what we do? We declare the truth of who God is and what God has done. Amen? Amen? God, this is what you've done. You have been kind to us. You have made our circumstances better in the past. And maybe my circumstances aren't good right now. But I know because I read the Bible and because I've known you in the past to do these things, I know that you can change circumstances for the better. Amen? And even when I've done something wrong and I feel far from God, I feel shame. Right? 
God, you have forgiven us. You have forgiven our wrongdoings. You've covered our sin. <coughs> if you just take those two things, wrongdoings and sins and bad circumstances, right? Aren't these the things that weigh us down? If you think about what makes me anxious, uh, what makes me despair, or anxious, what makes me anxious? Um, my circumstances, right? Uh, am I gonna get a job? Am I gonna have a job that pays enough? Apartment housing prices are going up in Seattle, right? Can I ever buy this house if you're a young couple or young, young career person? Will I ever be able to own a house? Will I ever get through school? Will I ever find my soulmate, the person I'm supposed to live with happily ever after? Will this illness ever go away from me? Or maybe you're focused on the world and other people, right? Will our country ever get better? Will I ever be able to relax and be like, ah, oh, I feel safe in this city. I feel safe in this neighborhood. I feel safe in this uh, country. I feel safe in this world. Will there ever be shalom or peace among countries in the world? Our circumstances make us worry, right? Even the traffic out there makes me worry. <laughs> Will I ever get to work on time? This guy, people are driving slow in the left lane. If you're in the left lane and people are passing you on the right lane, that means you shouldn't be in the left lane. These are the things that make me anxious, right? Come on, Seattle driver, you're supposed to be in the right lane. People are passing you. And I get really tight and my hands grip the steering wheel. And I, my heart's beat starts to beat faster, and I'm anxious. And all it takes is a change of disposition. It's very simple, like, I'm gonna get to that place late, and to accept that. But I don't accept that. Even if I have one minute, this is how uh, irrational I am. Even if I have one minute to get to the place where I need to go, and it's 30 miles away, I still feel I can make it on time. <laughs> and I need to just let go of that. But I like to stress out. I like to be anxious. I, like, I want to yell at the cars around me because I think I can get there. I can drive 30 miles in one minute. Just let it go. You're going to be late. You're going to be late. And so our circumstances tend to give us anxiety, whatever that is, real or, you know, I know I'm being humorous to a certain extent, but there are real circumstances that worry us. Our health, you know, our parents' health. And God is a God who is loving and compassionate and good no matter the circumstances. Right? God is God no matter what your circumstance is. And God is a God who sees and hears each and every one of you as you sing, as you cry out, God, change the circumstances. 
change the atmosphere. Amen. Change the air that I'm breathing because it's just heavy. It's too heavy. And then the second piece, forgiveness. Right? I'm the type of person I'm, I'm sharing here because I'm hoping as I share, right, some of you will like resonate. Right? I'm the type of person that worries a lot about what I've said to people. I have a tape recorder in my mind. I'm like, but why did I say that? And I'm like, stupid, stupid, stupid. And I worry, right? It makes me anxious. Like they think I don't care about them. They think I'm proud and ignoring them. Or they think I'm, um, you know, showing off or like pointing something out. And so I rewind things and I worry about them. Or I still think about things I, I did bad as a kid growing up with my parents. And when I think about those things, all of a sudden all that same shame comes back to me. I'm like, what is this? This has been floating around in my body this whole time or in my brain this whole time. Why is it still here? Right? Even if someone says, I forgive you, my wife says, I forgive you. Why do I still feel bad sometimes? Why do I worry about what I've done wrong? And we, need, we don't have peace because we punish ourselves daily for the things that we've done wrong. But God is a God who forgives. Amen? Does God forgive 20%? And the rest of it, he's like, man, you got to feel that, feel that burn for a long time. Right? No, God forgives and restores and brings wholeness to his people because God's power isn't 20%. God's power is 110%. It's infinite percent. And his grace is complete and full. And he wants to bring you into full restoration, not partial. It's our own human minds, our own system of grace, of works mentality that makes us worry, right? Yeah, God forgives me, but I still gotta pay penance. I gotta slap my hand 10 times before I feel better about that. That's what we do to our souls. Let's move on. So let's hear what God says. Because when we worry, right? When we're anxious, we listen to stupid voices. Am I right? Am I true? Right. You're bad. You're wrong. You're not enough. You did bad. Right? You're not going to have enough. So when those things come, when you're lying, when you allow yourself to be lied to with the wrong voices, you need to listen to God's voice. And so the psalmist says, let me hear what the Lord God says. Because what? He speaks peace to his people and to his faithful ones. Speak peace. Everybody do this again. Hold your hands up. Say peace. peace. What is peace? Peace is a gift. Does that change everything for you? Peace is a gift that God gives and that you receive. Amen? Amen. God speaks gifts. God speaks peace. God speaks peace. God speaks peace. 
There's enough things in the world that says speak other things into your life, right? It's like there's voices in your head and there's media. David, you're too short, you're too fat, you're too ugly, right? But God is the God who speaks peace, amen? Amen. Speak peace. Speak peace. God speaks peace to his people and his faithful ones. Don't let them return to foolish ways. God's salvation is very close to those who honor him so that his glory can live in our land. Faithful love and truth hath met. This is awesome. This is an awesome image. Faithful love and truth have met. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Right? You just imagine these two things coming together like arms enfolding his people. Faithful love and truth. Righteousness and peace kissing. He's surrounding you from the left and to the right, from the left and to the right. And then look at this, truth springs up from the ground. It's not, truth doesn't come because I was pumping, I dug really hard and I was pumping as hard as I can. And the truth came up because I worked really hard. It's truth wells up from the ground. We don't know how it happens. It's just bubbling out because it's a gift, a gift from God. Truth wells up from the ground, and then what's next? Righteousness gazes down from heaven. So you had from your left to the right, from your left to your right, enfolding you. And then you have from beneath and above. And basically the image is God speaks peace, and he envelops his people with righteousness, faithfulness, and love. His arms are enfolding you. He's above and below you. He's before and behind you. He's guarding you. He's protecting you. He's embracing you. God speaks peace. When life circumstances are difficult and we feel anxiety or there's no shalom in the world, we look around and people are suffering, or the privileged are abusing their power, or the rich don't care about the cries of the poor. And you look at the world and there's so much disparity, and so much like this is not shalom, this is not the way things should be, this is not a reconciled people, this is a broken world a disunified world and we get so angry I have to admit I get really angry when I, I shouldn't read things on my I shouldn't read the comments below right like what are people saying I, maybe they'll say something racist or something about Asian people or you know immigrants or something and I'll be like ah people think this way and see, I'm, I'm jumping into that, like, torn world, you know? Speak peace, Lord. And that's what it means as we wait for the coming Christ 
that Advent, the waiting, is, man, there's so much in the world that's tough. And there's so much in our own personal lives that are rough. But yet I will wait on the Lord. Yet I will pray. Yet I will hope. Yet will I sing. And yet will I cry out for peace and receive the peace that he has. Amen, church. Amen. So, uh, verse 12. Yes, the Lord gives what is good, and our lands yield its produce. Righteousness walks before God, making a road for his steps. You know, we're a new church. We've actually been here in this building for two months, right? So two months, and, um, and even before that, we were a church plant about five years old in North Seattle. And... Uh, Personally, as a pastor, I felt called, you know, to be a pastor. I, I, I shouldn't say felt. I feel called. Thank you. I feel called to be a pastor. I believe that Renew is here to be God's church, right, and to love. We are, our vision statement is to be renewed by God for the renewal of our neighbors. God fills us with his well of love and renewal and restoration. And because we're so filled, we want to go and love people out there. We can't help but love people out there and carry his renewal and his peace and his love to our neighborhood in tangible ways. That's our vision. And it's a big vision. It's like, this little group of people, we're going to renew the neighborhood. No, God's going to renew the neighborhood, amen? And he's going to use us to do it. But anyways, sometimes it gets hard, right? There have been Sundays where there's two people, and I'm like, I got a big sermon I have prepared. It involves yelling and amens and preaching, and there's two people. And I, you know, you're like, God is good, amen. Amen. Right? It's like, no, that's not happening. And yet God continues to call. God continues to tell us to wait and be in prayer and to be faithful, to be faithful, to be faithful. And we are creating a space, right, to be God's ambassadors of peace, right? Because there's so much isolation out there. There's so much disconnection out there. There's so much fighting out there. There's so much abuse out there. There's so much separation. And it's God's people who are called to be ambassadors of shalom and peace to bring people together, to create little little pockets, little spaces where, oh, when people come to it, this is different. This is refreshing. I can actually breathe here. I'm happy here. This is family, amen? Yeah. And even in this space, you know, it, this is a great blessing. The, the denomination opened up this space uh, for us to come in and have church. And, it's, you know, it was built in the 80s. It looked like a lot of church buildings that were built in the 80s. You know, I probably wouldn't have chosen the popcorn ceiling, <laughs> stuff like that. And, uh, but, you know, this is God's house, right? And we want this to be a house of prayer for, for all nations. And a, a place where people from every walk of life, from wherever, can come as they are and be like, oh, this is family. Right? 
you may look different or you're from a different place, but because we love Jesus, it's family. Right? And you may see gradually every week that we are making little changes right, to the space. Like for instance, we took the doors off of the sanctuary. There used to be doors, right? And those two, two doors on the far back corners used to be closed and locked all the time. And, you know, some of our leaders got together and were like, man, what does it communicate when there's a locked door in your sanctuary? <laughs> you just think about it, a locked door. Doesn't God want to just fling wide those gates, right? And they hear the music just pouring out into the street and people just come on in. And things are loud out there, but I can, we're louder in here, right? <laughs> What does that sound like? What does it mean to, you know, change this, even the stage, right? We put some lettering, we make three-dimensional space instead of two-dimensional space. Like, oh, wow, right? You throw a piece up here, it's like, man, I'm seeing something different. But it's all ways that we are trying to create a welcoming space for people. Because so much, for over so much time, when people <coughs> come into church or look at a church, they're like, that's a scary place. I don't want to go there. If you're, not, if you're not church, right? You know what I'm talking about? Man, those pews, that's scary. But what does it look like to be like, actually, this is home. Jesus is inviting me to his banquet table. Come and taste. Come and taste. You belong here. Amen? So that's our vision. And that's what's happening in this space. We are wanting to create an open space where people can have, experience God's peace, God's hope, God's love, and God's joy. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you surround us with your peace. The peace that passes, passes all understanding, that only comes from you. That you tell us to stop running and stop striving and stop fighting and to just hold up our hands and receive. And your well of righteousness springs up from below and your voice comes down from heaven and your arms surround us and you speak peace to us. So in this time, in the sanctuary, among these people, I pray that you will speak peace. And if there are people in here that are really struggling with anxiety or circumstances are making it hard for them um, to really breathe and freely to really have peace, I pray that you will lift them up, that you will deliver them, that you will heal, that you will provide and give them peace. Give us all peace, Lord. In your name, amen.